And it is our privilege to hear that word. This Lord, we've been singing about this Lord who is indeed present with us through His Spirit, as we'll see here shortly, present to hear, present to help, present to strengthen. This Lord has spoken. He's spoken truly and faithfully. And through His Word, illumined by the Holy Spirit, we can know Him. So if you turn to John 14, as we have made our way into the very heart of John's Gospel, John 14 through 17 is rich beyond telling. I hope you're reading it on your own, meditating upon it, thinking about what Christ is saying to us as His disciples. John 14, I'm beginning reading in verse 15. I'll read down to verse 21 for today. Now, Lord, open Your Word to us. Give us minds to hear. Give us attention. Holy Spirit, bring Your message home to each heart. Apply it to each individual that with faith, believing, we may see and be changed and drawn where You want us today. Amen. Jesus is speaking. He says, If you love Me, you will keep My commandments. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see Me no more, but you will see Me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father as well. These words of Jesus are meant to to be a great comfort to you as you seek to live your life for Him in the here and now. And you remember the context, I hope. Jesus has just informed His disciples that He's, that he's leaving. The cross is within sight. Very soon He will be taken from them, crucified, die, rise from the dead on the third day, ascend to the Father's right hand. That's why He came. That's how He will indeed win the salvation we've been singing about. But they understand very little of that at this moment. In fact, all they have heard is that He's leaving and it's frightened them. That's why He encourages them in chapter 14, verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in Me. I know it sounds like I am abandoning you, but you've got to trust Me in this. I have made provision for you. I'm not leaving you as orphans. And church, we're in that same place this morning. It is a scary world. And in the midst of this scary world with its constant stream of of bad news and its ever-increasing culture in opposition to the truth, it can feel like you've been abandoned. Amen? Sometimes you feel like you're left on your own. But the Lord who loves you 
and gave Himself for you, has made provision for us. He has given us the help we need. No, no, more than that, He has given us the helper we need in the person of the Holy Spirit whom He has promised to be with us. And that's what we want to begin looking at this morning. It's going to take us a couple of weeks or more. In fact, there's so much on the Holy Spirit in this uh, next three chapters. We're going to be learning a lot about Him, hopefully getting to know Him. But this morning we're going to just open up what would have been one sermon, but I couldn't fit it all in. And so we're looking at the promised Holy Spirit, our, our heavenly helper as we live here and now for Christ. And so let's just begin with that. The Holy Spirit, the promised Holy Spirit, is the help we need to know and walk with Christ here and now. That's verse 15 to 17. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him, for He dwells with you, and He will be in you. So there's a promise here. But before we get to the promise, just notice the statement of verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Jesus then repeats that down in verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And these two statements about love leading to obedience are sort of like bookends on what Jesus says here about the ministry of the Holy Spirit to us. He, he wants us to see that, that the promise that He is making is for believers who love Christ and who take their walk with Him very seriously. And so just as we saw last week that the promise of answered prayer is just not given willy-nilly, it is given to those who are walking with Christ and seeking to do His greater works. In the same way, the help of the Holy Spirit here is being promised to those who walk with Christ and are seeking to live out of love in obedience. If you love Me, you will keep My commandments, and I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. And so the help of the Holy Spirit is promised to who? It's promised to the genuine believer who seeks to walk with Christ in loving obedience. Now, that doesn't mean that you can earn the Holy Spirit's presence by your obedience. It is and remains a gift. Verse 16 says, I'll ask the Father, He'll give the Holy Spirit. But what it means is that the gift is being promised to us who belong to Christ, who seek to walk with Christ, and who are living in relationship with Christ. And so the Holy Spirit doesn't come to empower your personal projects, but to enable a life of loving obedience to Christ. Seek that life, and you will have His help, Jesus says. In fact, notice how personal this is. He says, if you love Me... Emphasis in the original on the me. You will obey my commandments. Emphasis again on the my. The reason we seek to obey these commands is because they are the commands of Christ. And if we love Christ, we trust in Christ, we will want to obey Christ. The obedience flows from the love. We are changed in our hearts through faith to with a love for Christ and the result of that love is a desire to obey Him. And so again, Christianity 
is not a matter of merely obeying rules and laws. We're not in love with a bunch of laws. We're in love with the Lord who gave the laws. We don't have a relationship with a bunch of rules. We have a relationship with the ruler who gives us good commands. And so we trust Him. And because we trust Him, we delight to obey Him. The obedience of the Christian flows out of love for Christ. And so if we've been redeemed by Christ, we love Him with all of our heart, we love Him for saving us, and we want to obey Him. Isn't that that true for you? If you're a Christian? I mean, if that's not true, if there's no desire to obey Christ, no love for Christ, you should really, really question whether or not indeed you belong to Christ. And you should turn to Him and cry out to Him and say, Lord, give me this new heart. I've been trying to obey out of rules. I want to obey out of love. Give me a new heart. Because that's exactly what He does according to Ezekiel 36. And so if you love Him, you will want to obey Him. But here's the problem. Can I get a witness here? Try as you might, you so often don't obey Him. Even with a heart that desires to walk in obedience, you fall short. No, you need more than just determination and effort to walk in loving obedience to Christ. You need help. And guess what He's promising you? Help is exactly what Jesus is telling us we have here. So so dear Christian, let me just say this. Never despair that you're not living up to the desire of your heart to walk with Christ. I mean, don't be... Don't be okay with that. Never despair because Jesus is promising help. So let's look at that promised help. Verse 16, And I will ask the Father and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. So He's giving us a Helper. Let's look first at the identity of that Helper. Verse 17, He says He is the Spirit of truth. And you already know this means God's Holy Spirit, God's own Spirit being promised to us here. He's not talking about something, a mere power or presence or divine influence in some kind of non-personal way. He is speaking of the very person of God Himself, the third person, the Holy Spirit. Just as the Father is God and the Son is God, so the Spirit is also God. One God who exists eternally as three persons. Again, we come to the Trinity as the foundation of our faith. Listen, theology really matters. It's important that we understand these things because understanding... Trinity, we often treat the Trinity today as some kind of esoteric you know, doctrine stuck off in the corner somewhere when it is actually foundational to how we live and move and walk with Christ. And so we begin by asking this question, how many gods are they? Christian? I mean Christian or children? How many gods are there? There is one God. Deuteronomy 6 verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And yet, throughout Scripture, the Father is that one God, and the Son, we are told, is that God. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. And in several places also, the Holy Spirit is that one God. Not three gods, but three persons who are the one God. And also not three forms of God. It is not that God shows up in the Old Testament in the form of the Father, sneaks off stage, changes clothes, comes back in the New Testament in the form of the Son, and then goes away for a minute and comes back in the book of Acts in the form of the Holy Spirit. That's an ancient heresy called modalism. And I say ancient, but it's still very much alive today. 
I once had a student who tried to argue with me that God manifests Himself in three different forms in the Bible, just as I've said, first the Father, then later the Son, and finally at the end, the Holy Spirit. That He is three different aspects of God, but never the one God, all in the one place, all at the same time. And so I ask him, how then do you explain Jesus' baptism? You think about the baptism, the whole scene there, Matthew 3, 16 and 17. You can look it up a little later. We're told as Jesus came up out of the water, immediately the heavens were opened above Him. And He saw, He standing in the water saw the Holy Spirit falling upon Him from heaven and resting upon Him. And at the same time, He heard a voice from heaven saying, This is My beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And so God the Son is standing in the water being baptized. God the Holy Spirit is falling from heaven to earth upon the Son. And God the, God the Father is speaking from heaven. This is my beloved Son. One God and three persons. We see that same reality in this passage. Verse 16. Again, look at the interplay between the three persons. And I, Jesus says, will ask the Father... And He will give you another Helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. And so the Son asks the Father, the Father sends the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is sent. One God in three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But here's here's something that's interesting. Look at that word another in verse 16. I will send another Helper... Greek has two different words for another. English just has the one, right? So I can say, you know, I have a daughter, I have another daughter. Or I can say I have, you know, living in my home, uh, a couple of females and another female, meaning our... Oh wait, our dog's a male. A blue, my associate. Our old dog, years ago, was female. Sorry, Pippin. I misgendered you. <laughs> I hope he doesn't mind. But the Greek has two different words that would keep me from making that kind of silly mistake. The first of those words is the word heteros. And heteros means another of a different kind. Paul uses that word in Galatians 1 when he talks about a different gospel, another gospel. It's not even the same gospel. It's a completely different thing. The true gospel saves, another gospel cannot save. It's heteron. It's completely different. The other word is the word alone or alone which means another of the same kind. Another like the one we're talking about. And of course, this is the word Jesus is using here. Another like me, He means. And so He says, I'm going to send you, I'm leaving you, and you're worried about that, but I'm going to send you another like me. You're worried about losing my presence, but I'm going to send you another just like me, someone who can step in and take my place and fulfill the role that I've had in your life up to this point. Who else could step in and fill the shoes of the Son of God unless it is God, the Holy Spirit. And as we'll see, that's exactly what He comes to do. He comes to fulfill for us living now the very role that Jesus fulfilled for the disciples living then through His presence. And so, that's the person of the Helper. Let's look now at the work of the Helper. What is He going to do? I will give you another Helper like Me to be with you forever. Now look at the word Helper there. In Greek, 
Uh, it's the word parakletos. Uh, we usually translate that into English as, or, or transliterate it as the paraclete. So paraclete, if you don't know that word, um, it's, it's written in your notes there. Kind of, it's time to learn it. <laughs> and it's a word that is notoriously difficult to translate into English because it's a word whose meaning is frankly too big for any one or even two English words to contain. And in fact, if you're sitting next to someone with a different Bible translation this morning, just glance over at their page and, you, and you'll notice that in all likelihood there are different words being used there. This word paraclete uh, can be translated as helper, as it is here, comforter, companion, advocate, counselor, intercessor, mediator, advisor, friend. At the very heart of this word is the idea of someone who is called to come to your side and help you. Paras, where we get a word para, meaning beside, and kletos uh, means to call. And, and so it means to call to your side. It's someone who comes to stand beside you and help you. Now, in the ancient world, in the ancient world, this word was often used of a, of a legal advocate. Uh, you're in trouble with the law. You're standing there before the judge, and, and this person comes and they stand beside you to, to advocate for you, to advise you, to plead your case, to give you help. But here's what's really interesting. This Greek word was never used of the legal profession kind of lawyer standing there. That's how the Latin word was used, but not this word. This is not a legal professional who is representing you. This is a close friend who is standing next to you. This is someone who loves you and has your best interest at heart and has now come to stand beside to support and help you. Now, this word is used not only of the Holy Spirit here in John, but also it's used of another advocate. In fact, the Holy Spirit's the other advocate, and if there is another advocate, it means there's an original advocate, right? You only get another if there's an original. So who is the original paracleter advocate for us? You can say it. It's Jesus Himself. John uses this word to describe Jesus in 1 John 2, verse 1. He says, little children... I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, okay, that part covers me. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate, a paraclete, with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Jesus is our original paraclete, our friend who comes to stand beside us and advocate for us and intercede for us. In fact, what is Jesus doing right now at the right hand of the Father? He is standing before the Father as our paraclete. He is standing there advocating for us. He is standing there as our helper in heaven. But He's helping in heaven and He has sent another to help us on earth. We have Jesus advocating as our paraclete in the heavens, but we also have the Holy Spirit standing here advocating for us here on earth. Christ is the original advocate. The Holy Spirit is the other advocate who comes to stand with us. Again, listen, He's not abandoned us. He's not left us on His own. He is no longer physically present with us here since His resurrection and ascension, but the Helper has been sent to stand with us here and now. Our Helper, He amid the flood, 
of mortal ills prevailing. Luther wrote that about Jesus. And Jesus is our first advocate, our original helper, still advocating for us from heaven. But the Holy Spirit is our advocate on earth, advocating for us as our paraclete here and now to help us accomplish all Christ has given us to do. And so that brings us to to, to this. Then we want to look at the role of the helper. What help does he give us? What is he, the Holy Spirit, here to do? And, And so Jesus uses this word paraclete four times in John's Gospel to describe the Holy Spirit's ministry for us. And so with the rest of our time this morning, I want to look at those four occurrences. This isn't all we need to know about the Holy Spirit, but there are four things here that we're told that the Holy Spirit as our paraclete does for us. The first one is this verse, chapter 14, verse 16. I'll ask the Father. He'll give you another paraclete, helper, to be with you forever. And so first of all, we see that the Holy Spirit is our ever-present helper, or as the King James puts it, our comforter. Now, don't throw rocks at me. Comforter is at the same time a terrible translation and a wonderful translation. Right? And I want to tell you what I mean by that. First, it's a terrible translation if you read into it the modern meaning of comforter. If you read into that word comforter, uh, as we would today, a security blanket that makes you feel safe. You know, a safe space you can run to, a, a warm hug uh, that, 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 that helps you feel better and, and soothes uh, your, your, your feelings and so forth. Now, there are ways that God does that, but that's not what this word means. And so if you take it as a warm blanket covering you and keeping you from feeling bad, you've misunderstood this word. But it's a great translation if you understand what the translators originally meant when they used this word. In 1611, when the King James was translated, comfort was a brand new word in the English language. Uh, It was a combination of two Latin words, com, which means with, and forte, which means strength. And here's what they meant when they used this word. They meant that the Holy Spirit comes and gives us strength. He stands beside us to enable us to fight the battles this day requires. To stand firm as we walk with Christ. He strengthens us for our war. R.C. Sproul writes about this meaning. He says, Thus a comforter was someone who came to strengthen you. It wasn't the one who came to wipe your tears after the battle. It was the one who came to give you strength for the battle. And dear one, in this present dark world, there are battles and bruises that you must face and will face. And Jesus Himself is not physically present to take you through them. So what can we do? Right? Are we left on our own as sheep among wolves? Well, in fact, we are sheep among wolves, Jesus says in Matthew 10. But what we are not is alone. For Jesus has asked the Father and He has sent us a Helper who stands beside us with strength for the battle. One who comes with strength to enable us to stand firm in our faith. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 13 Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand 
Stand firm, therefore. And then he goes on in verse 18 after giving us what that armor is. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. The Spirit who is present now, our Comforter, strengthens us in this war we're in. Likewise, Romans 8.26 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we don't know even what to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He strengthens us for the battle. And one of the main ways He does that, of course, is through this ministry, this grace of prayer. And so He is our helper who strengthens us. Second, He is our teacher. He helps us understand and apply God's truth. This is the next use of paraclete. It's down in chapter 14, verse 26, uh, where we are told, But the Helper, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now, first of all, that promise is given directly to the disciples themselves, and it's important to understand that. Because here is one reason among others that you can trust the faithful testimony of Scripture concerning Jesus. Have you ever asked the question, how can I be sure that what the disciples wrote down is actually what Jesus said and did? How can I know that? Here's the answer. Because the Holy Spirit sent by the Father in the name of the Son safeguarded that truth. He came upon Peter and John and James and Matthew and all the others and He brought to their remembrance every word that we need. Second Peter 1 verse 21 says, Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so first of all, He brought to their remembrance everything they needed to write down for us. This is how He made sure we would have God's Word. But then now He continues to do the same kind of thing in us, enabling us to understand God's Word. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 12 says, We have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. The Spirit opens our minds and illumines God's Word to us if we are Christians. He helps us to understand it. But do you understand, you can call upon the help of the author in order to understand His Word. You know, It's like if you're, you're reading uh, Terry's book that she has written, and you come to a part and you say, I don't understand exactly what's going on here. You, you could certainly go to Terry Stoner and she would say, here, here's what I meant by that. She's right there. As we're reading the Scriptures, the author, the Holy Spirit who authored these words is a resource for us. Now that, that doesn't mean your understanding is always going to be perfect. We're still sinners. We, we still get it wrong. But it means that we do have help. Listen, I would not even dream of opening God's Word on my own without asking for the help of the Holy Spirit. Because again, verse 17, He is the Spirit of truth. Truth is His very nature. And by the way, this is another aspect or proof of His deity. God is the one who is in and of Himself truth. Let God be true. Let every man a liar. Paul says in Romans 3, God in His essence and His nature is truth. He never lies. Indeed, He cannot lie. Titus 1.2 says, God is truth. But then Jesus is the embodiment of that truth. 
John 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. Now we're being told that the Holy Spirit is the channel of that truth. God in His answer, God in His essence is truth. Christ is the embodiment of that truth. And the Holy Spirit is the channel by which we know that truth. Now, now this, is, this, this has wonderful implications for us as we open God's Word day to day and seek to understand His truth. Because as we open God's Word, depending on the Holy Spirit to take this truth and to drive it into our souls, we have His help. He will sanctify us, John 17, 17 says. Sanctify us by the truth. Your Word is truth. And so, if you ask the question, how do you get the truth of the Word into your heart so it can shape your life and you become more and more like Jesus? The answer is by depending upon the Holy Spirit to do His work and to bring that truth down into your life. Don't tell me, I just can't understand God's Word. If you're a Christian and the Spirit is there, He is there to help you. In fact, you'll notice that the Bible elsewhere is called the sword of the Spirit. Ephesians 6, verse 17. The sword of the Spirit. Now, what's that mean? Well, it means that it is the Spirit's hand that wields God's Word, brings it into our lives to cut away the sin in the flesh to pierce even to the heart and the conscience, to awaken within us a love for His truth and understanding so that that Word is no longer merely external to our ears, but it's brought home into our lives where it can have its full effect. And that is the work of a lifetime, not a one-time shot. And so here's an exercise for you. Every day this week, if you're not already doing this, every day this week, make sure you open God's Word. Maybe start here in John 14 to 17. If you don't already have a reading plan, though I'm going to hope that most of you already do, but but if you don't, start here. And as you open the Bible every morning, ask God the Holy Spirit to help you understand and apply it. Ask Him to open your mind to see its application to you. Offer to Him a willing heart, ready to believe whatever He says, ready to obey whatever He commands. Ask for His help and you will have it. And so we are promised the help of the Holy Spirit as we seek to understand God's Word. We are promised the help of the Holy Spirit as we pray, seeking to stand by faith. Third, the Holy Spirit also brings the very presence of Christ into our lives as we seek to walk with Him by faith. That's John 15, 26. That's the third place we see this word, paraclete. John 15, verse 26 But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness about Me. He will make Me known to you. One thing that's very important to understand about the Holy Spirit is that He never makes a big deal about Himself. He does not draw attention to Himself. He comes to draw attention to Jesus. He will bear witness about me. He will point people to me. He will make much of me, Jesus says. So one way you can tell that you're dealing with false claims about the Holy Spirit 
is that when those who make those claims end up talking mainly about the Holy Spirit and not Jesus, mainly about what He does through them and how it makes them supercharged and superpowered to do the things they're doing, ultimately calling attention to them, you know they don't know the Holy Spirit at all. Listen, the Spirit is not pumped about Himself. He doesn't care one thing about being in the spotlight. His role, His goal, His joy is to put the spotlight of attention on the saving Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So any genuine move of the Holy Spirit will focus our attention like a laser beam on Jesus and His saving work. Because here's what He does. Uh, we'll look at this more next week, but, but just go back to John 14, 18 to 20. Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I'm not abandoning you. I will come to you. Get a little while and the world will see me no more after his death and then after his ascension. But you will see me. And the word actually means perceive. Perceive me. Because I live, you will also live in that day. What day? Following his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. In that day, after the Spirit comes at Pentecost, you will know in this experiential living way that I am in the Father. You'll understand the realities of the Trinity and the inner Trinitarian working of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You will know know that's true and you'll know that you are in me and I am in you. Now there's a lot we'll look at there next week but look what he's saying. Do you see? I mean think about think of it this way. How is it that Christ can leave us physically and yet verse 18 come to us and verse 20 be in us? Well, only through the working of the Holy Spirit sent to manifest Christ to us in this way and to bring His real and living presence to us. We talked last week about the mutual indwelling of the Father and the Son. The way the Father is in the Son, the Son is in the Father, and and both uh, together are in the Spirit. We talked about how through the mystery of the Trinity, each person of God dwells in and with the others. And I know that's mind-blowing. But that's what Jesus meant when He said back in verse 11, Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in Me. And now here He also includes the Holy Spirit in that mutual indwelling reality. But here's the payoff. Here's why this matters. It's not just esoteric theology. The Father is in the Son. The Son is in the Father. Both are in the Spirit. And guess what? The Spirit now dwells in us. Oh, do you see the implication? He is with us. He is in us. And so the mutual indwelling of God within God means that as the Spirit comes to dwell within us in salvation, Christ Himself comes to dwell within us. Again, that's verse 20. I'm in the Father. You're in Me. And I, through the Spirit He means, am in you. The very life-giving presence of Jesus is alive in us through the Holy Spirit giving life to us here and now. you got to shout a little bit, do a somersault. This isn't just something we're hoping for one day, though we'll know the fullest of it one day. This is a reality. 
Romans 8.11 If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, present tense, He who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you, ultimately in the resurrection physical life. But He is speaking here of the reality of a present spiritual life as well. And and so we, through the ever-present Holy Spirit, get to enjoy the very real presence of Christ Himself who is among us. Now, think about why that matters. Think about how cool this is. Every time we gather, like we're gathered right here, right now, you should ask this question, where is Jesus right now as we worship and sing and think about Him? Where is He? What's He doing right now? Well, in one sense, physically... He is ascended to the Father's right hand in His human body. They're interceding for us. Physically, He's in heaven. Yes, yes, yes. But in another just as real sense, He is right here, right now. He is present with us through the Spirit in and among us. And I don't mean that it's like He's here with us or as if He's here with us in some symbolic sense only. No, He is actually in this room this morning as we gather in His name to receive our worship and to give us His strength. Didn't He say that? Matthew 18.20 For where two or three are gathered in My name, there, it's just like I'm in there with Him. No, there I am among them. Okay, how do we know Jesus is among us? How do we know that? Well, first of all, because He told us. That should be enough. But second, because His Holy Spirit is among us. And we know it. Verse 17, the Spirit of truth in the world can't receive because it doesn't see Him, it doesn't perceive Him, it doesn't know Him. But you, dear Christian, know Him speaking here of an experiential reality, for He dwells with you and will be in you. He dwells with you and He will be in you. Now the magnitude of this just blows my mind. When He says He will dwell with you, He uses a word we've seen before, the little word manai, manai, which means to... To abide, abide with me, we just sang. That was a beautiful song. It fits the whole theme. To, to abide, to remain, to make a home, to dwell somewhere in a permanent way. Not just to visit, but to dwell. Okay, so how long did Jesus say the promised Spirit would be with us in verse 16? What did He say? To be with us forever. Forever. Now this is one of those important differences between the New Testament saint and the saints of the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit was indeed present in the Old Testament. Don't make that mistake. You know, there was no Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. Well, starting from Genesis 1, the Holy Spirit is there. He's active. He's working. He's doing things. He is is carrying out uh, the Father and the Son's will there. But what He doesn't do in the Old Testament is He doesn't dwell within the individual believer in a permanent and abiding way the way we see Him doing here. Listen, we are so wonderfully provided for. Again, look at the end of verse 17. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. Two prepositions, with and in. He will dwell with us and He will dwell in us. First of all, He dwells with us as the church, meaning He is here among us as we gather in Christ's name. I've already alluded to this, but just think of the implication of that. 
This is why, dear church, children, adults, all of us, this is why this is a holy gathering every time we assemble. Every time we are together, Christ Himself is present among us through the indwelling Holy Spirit. Oh, how that ought to affect our view of this meeting, how that ought to impact everything we do and say and sing and think because Christ Himself is here. It's not about you. It's not about me. It is about Him. We're not here uh, to get a fix. We're not here to be entertained. We're here to meet with God. God is present among us in Christ. God is teaching and admonishing and strengthening and sanctifying for the glory of His name. He's here. But second, not only is He among us, it says He's also in us, meaning in each one of us as believers, bringing the very presence of Christ into our lives. Romans 8 Verse 9, speaking to the individual believer, says you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. You're no longer that old person you were. You're a new person, renewed by the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. So every Christian has the Spirit. If the Spirit's not there, it's because you don't belong to Christ. And if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life. He is bringing life. He is feeding you with life because of His righteousness, the righteous presence of Christ. Each and every believer is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Now, listen to those words. The Holy Spirit. And so if He who is holy dwells in us, what kind of people must we be? God is present among us. God is present with us in Christ. Christ is present among us. Christ is present in us, molding and shaping our lives into His image through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Listen, that's something worth meditating on this week. What does it mean for God to be with us in the congregation, to be in us as individual believers through Christ, the Holy Spirit bringing that presence to us, a real presence we can and should know? But the world can't know it, cut off as it is in its sin. Verse 17 says, The world does not know it. It does not know Him. They are blind to Him. Second Corinthians 4, The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. They are blind. Christian, you are not blind. They can't perceive Him. Christian, you do perceive Him. They can't know Him. You do know Him. Grace has opened our eyes. Faith has brought Him into our hearts. The Spirit is present in us, making us alive day by day. Listen, that's not just a creed we confess. That is the experience of our lives in Christ. And when that experience begins to grow dull, or we're not perceiving it, we've got to turn immediately to Christ and say, Oh Lord, make me, li- make me alive. Make me aware. Make, make, make me to know Your presence. Give me this that You've promised. The fourth place it's used, I will only mention because we're out of time. But the fourth thing we see is that the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the fourth time it's used, works in and through us, we've already seen that, to make Christ known in this world. The last place we see this word paraclete is John 16, verse 6 to 8. Let me read that. John 16, verse 6 to 8. Oh, there it is. But because I've said these things that he's leaving, um, sorrow has filled your heart. 
Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, the Paraclete, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. And when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Now, now we'll look in more detail at this passage when we actually get to it. But just notice for now this basic idea. The same Spirit who helps us by giving us strength to face these battles who teaches us God's Word so that we can know Him and walk with Him, and who brings us into the very presence of Christ and Christ in us, this same Spirit, this paraclete, bears witness to Christ through us as we seek to be used by Him to reach this lost and dying world with His grace. As we go out, wherever we go out, across the, the, the dining room table, across the backyard fence, up at the, up, up at the abortion clinic, uh, out on the streets, wherever we go, bearing the message of Christ, we do not go there on our own. We don't go there without help. We go there strengthened with the grace of the Holy Spirit who went before us, who will be there after we're gone, who is living in us, bringing witness to Christ. As we go out, we have help. We have help. And oh, what a help He is. What rich promises undergird us as we trust in Him. Christian, listen, we'll look more next week. He has not abandoned you. He has not abandoned you. He will never forsake you. He has come and He is present in us and with us through the Holy Spirit. He will be here all the way to the end. And dear Christian, you can rely on this. You can bank on this as being true. If you can't see it right now, if it seems foreign to your experience, then go and cry out to Him. Don't just say, well, I don't feel this, it must not be true for me. No, go to Him. Ask Him to make it plain to you. Ask Him to make His presence. Ask Him to give you a heart that loves His Word and wants to read it and know Him there. That that wants to obey out of love and, and not out of mere legalism. Ask Him to grant these things because these are the things He has promised and will deliver. And if you're not a Christian... Well, just consider this afternoon, even now, what these promises would mean to you if you did trust Christ. What it would mean to know that these are true. Because Christ gives them to you by grace through faith. Well, that's about a third of what I originally thought I would cover this morning, but there's so much here we'll pick up here next week. Father, there is so much in Your Word for us to comprehend, not only with our minds, but our hearts and our experience about the the living gift of Your holy presence, Your Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth who indwells us, bringing us into personal and direct contact with Jesus Himself and You, our Father. We don't worship You and serve You at a distance. Though heaven and earth are far removed from one another, You have brought the reality of heaven's presence to us through Your Spirit. We grieve Him at times. We fail to obey Him as we ought. Christ intercedes for us at the Father's right hand. He doesn't remove His hand of grace from those who are truly His blood-bought children. The Spirit Himself continues to work within our lives, sanctifying us, calling us home, giving us repentance, 
giving us faith, ever deepening our faith, ever deepening our love. And this is what we ask you to do this morning. Deepen our love, deepen our trust, deepen our experience of your mercy working in our lives as we go home, in our families, as we go to work, at our jobs, as we go into the into this into this broken world as, as lights in a dark place. Let your light shine in and through us by your ever-present Holy Spirit that we might live to the praise of the glory of your grace. In Jesus' name. We pray. Amen.